Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett. Brett. Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory. Brett Gilliland. The Circuit of Success Podcast. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got Dr. Ed Hightower with me. Ed, how you doing? Oh, the pleasure's all mine, Brett. Uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. So, uh... Well, people that don't know you, probably everybody's watching this knows who you are. I mean, you've had a heck of a career. Well, I've been very fortunate. I've had yeah. a lot of support along the way and uh, very, very blessed. Yes, yes, absolutely. So former superintendent at Edwardsville High School, 19 years in Edwardsville, but yeah. 40 years in education. 40 years in education, uh, 19 years as superintendent of the Edwardsville School District. I went there in 1996 and retired in 2015 so amazing in uh, 36 years as an ncaa referee 36 years as an ncaa referee 33 years in the big 10 12 final fours the world games man uh i represented the united states at the world games in buenos aires i represented the united states at the goodwill games in uh st petersburg russia so i was very very fortunate that's incredible incredible I remember you in my uh, Fighting Illini days when I was, you know, a younger man and then watching the, my my Flying Illini, which we, I want to talk about that sure, later, if that's sure. all right. So, But if you can, uh, Ed, give us a little lay of the land, the backstory. You don't just wake up and spend 40 years and get your doctorate and, you know, have an amazing marriage of 49 years, two sure. daughters, NCAA, sure. all the stuff we just mentioned. But what's what's some of that backstory, some of your well, story? Well, backstory, you know, I'm just one of these uh, uh, young individuals, uh, very fortunate uh, I grew up in the South. Uh, my mom and, and uh, dad uh, divorced when I was 12 years old. I'm the second of eight children. I never thought that uh, I would complete uh, even a high school education when I was in the South. Wow. Um, uh, things were tough. My mom moved uh, to Alton, Illinois in 1966. And um, she always made education a priority, okay. uh, education, church, giving back to the community a priority for all eight of us uh, siblings. Yeah. And uh, we were very fortunate. And from that point, I uh, played basketball, baseball at Alton High School. Uh, in 1970, I graduated and went to SIUE mm. on a basketball scholarship, played for the Cougars. I didn't know that. And started refereeing intramural basketballs when these <laughs> poor kids uh, didn't have any money, but uh, started refereeing intramural basketball uh, in 1971 for a dollar and 25 cents a game. Wow. Think about that one for a moment. Man. And uh, I'd watch, uh, you know, I, I had no uh, relationship with officials when I, yeah. when I played. But, uh, you know, when you can uh, referee uh, the various fraternities uh, in college and some of those guys who think that they were the best players <laughs> yeah, ever and some right. who never could play, yeah. uh, you, you get a, a mixture yeah. and a variance of uh, that of testosterone talent. of uh, my <laughs> fraternity is better than your fraternity. There, 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 there you go. And so I graduated uh, in 1974. I started teaching. My wife and I were married. And then I got a raise for refereeing. I started uh, refereeing uh, Open City League recreation basketball, and uh, I got a raise from a dollar twenty-five cents a game to uh, five dollars a game. Oh, so a I big was in, raise. I, I was in seven heaven. Five times more money. You, you like, got it, good. and I would work three games, uh, 
three games a night, uh, three times a week. Right? Yeah. But in nineteen seventy four, that was pretty good That's money. Good, you know, good, nice supplement. You yeah, know, guys. So, and from that point, um, it just happened. Uh, at the same time, I was back at SIU working on my uh, my master's in education yep. to become an administrator. I got that. I was very fortunate to have had uh, a great mentor uh, in the superintendent who took me on his wings, uh, this young uh, African-American kid. And and, uh, I went into administration at a very young age. And uh, I'll tell you, Brett, of the 40 years I spent in uh, education, 37 of those years were actually in administration. Oh my goodness. So I had a lot I had a lot of opportunities to screw it up and make mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what so, what were your expectations like? So you said you grew up in the south, didn't yes. have any money, but yet I would think to do that your expectations were high. Expectation expectations are extremely high that you have to work. You had to work. My mom instilled uh, work ethic in in all of us yeah. that uh, uh, that uh, there was no compromise. What did she do for a living? Uh, oh gosh, she uh, worked in the fields, uh, cotton fields. Uh, she was a nurse. She went back and mm-hmm. got uh, her uh, certificate to be a nurse, and uh, and then of course when we moved here in '66, she worked at Olin uh, oh, yeah. Industry where. Money was uh, plenty for, work was plenty for, and she was able to care for us. But our value system was simple. Work, be honest, go to church, give something back. Hmm. It's simple. And the world needs that, right? I, I, it's so simple. And uh, I never forgot that. And that's what I believe in today. And that's how we brought up our daughters. That's the message that I send clearly the young people yeah. I've sent uh, over my years. And uh, even now, I'm heavily involved uh, with um, two projects. Uh, I'm building 40 uh, affordable houses in Alton uh, starting March. And I've put together a white paper to revitalize uh, Venice. Uh, uh, you know, that community is uh, low income poverty-stricken, driven, uh, no grocery store, no health care facilities. Uh, we were fortunate to get them a new elementary school, which uh, we will break ground there uh, in March of uh, 24, $26 million, thanks to our legislators. We're working to get them a grocery store. We're working to get them a health care uh, facility. Uh, and then uh, we're going to put 40 homes there. Uh, we're working to bring in a rec center for the young people there. So again, giving back to the community. Um, the second initiative that uh, I have going now um, for the Madison High School uh, students, we've started a scholarship fund for those high school students, um, whereby we will be able to give uh, anywhere from um, Three to five two thousand dollar scholarships um, each year, beginning uh, in twenty uh, four. Uh, so you know, again, I'm uh, pretty, uh, pretty pretty busy. <laughs> but but you know, the, the the thing, it's all on my time. Yeah. You know, it's not like I have to punch a clock now. It's not like I've got 
when I was superintendent, I uh, had 7,600 students in the Edwardsville School District, and parents are very demanding, uh, and so I don't have the parents screaming and hollering <laughs> at me. I miss the kids. Same thing with refereeing. I don't have uh, folks like you from the old line eye screaming and hollering at That's me. That's a terrible call. That was a terrible Come call, on. Hightower. Right. You, you, know, you hate Illinois. Right. You know, you know, and then I go to Michigan. You hate Michigan. I hate Michigan. So, you know, I don't have that now. Yeah. You know, I just wake up and do the kinds of things that, um, uh, that meets my value yeah. system of giving back yeah. and, uh, and so on. Then... During the wintertime, my wife and I, uh, 49 years, uh, we uh, go to Florida yeah. and uh, spend time there. So Work on that golf game. I do. What's I, the handicap these uh, days? My handicap is a seven. Uh, my index Boom. my index is uh, is about an eight, uh, seven out yeah. at Sunset Country Club. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so, you know, so, yeah, the, 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 the golf has improved since I retired because <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm, not on the, I'm not on the phone all yeah. of the time. Got to check this email and respond <laughs> to that it. message and do all that. So, you know, here's the thing I, you've mentioned a couple of times is your values organization, right? So your values, I think we think of as an organization. We have to be values aligned and mission aligned. And, and right. what I have found through my 22, 23 year career is when those things are aligned, good things happen, right? Absolutely. But when they're not, bad things happen, right? Absolutely. So how- because, be, and, and the reason uh, there are no guardrails, when, you, when, you're, when your value system is aligned, there are guardrails that keep, that keep you focused. Yeah. You know, when I referee, uh, when I represented the United States, I, I remember this so vividly, my, tr- my first trip to the World Games, that was the first time that I mean I'm on major uh, international stage. Yeah. Mike Koscheski was the coach of the U.S. team. I'm the referee. Hmm. What an awesome responsibility to represent your country. And as you as they prepare you to go to a setting like what my first trip was, they tell you it's not if you're going to be proposition; it's when. And the simple answer is just say no. And, and walk through, dive a little deeper there. Proposition to do what? Like proposition, giving money. Yeah. Uh, uh, to to make a different call. Make a different different call or something like that. So yeah, those all of those uh, tangibles are there to incentivize you to do the wrong yeah, things. Right. But if your value system is in check, you're going to do the right things when people aren't around. Uh, And that's the key thing I tell young people. Don't get caught up with just doing the right things when uh, or the right thing when somebody's watching you. The big test is, can you do the right thing or the right things when people aren't and that's where the value system comes into play. The safeguards, the safe rails, guard rails are there to keep you centered and keep you, keep your eye on the mark 
and so on, and you don't get sidelined. So it's uh, my buddy Steve Winhoff. We were talking last night. I told him that you were coming on, and he's a big basketball guy. And so shout out to Steve. But he's like, how do you handle objectivity? Um, surely there were some coaches or programs or players that were harder to, you know, you know they were going to be on you the whole time, right? And, and, and so how did you stay objective with that of not trying to choose sides or when you go represent America to not say, I want to, you know, I want my guys to win? The guardrails. Yeah. yeah again, the value system. Honesty, integrity, hard work, yeah, and uh, the, you put those all in that uh, as a potpourri. Uh, yeah, guess what's going to come out? Yeah, hence you why you did twelve uh, final four. You got it. Yeah. And and you know, uh, Coach Knight and I were very close. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, we talked. Uh, you know, we would bump heads on the floor, uh, but uh, off the floor, we would talk. Uh, we talked a lot uh, about education, about young people, one of the smartest individuals mm. you ever want to be around. And um, guardrails, okay, you always know that you, going into that game, you have to be not subjective, mm. but objective. You see it, you call it, and let the chips fall where they may. But by the same token, you're there to lend a hand as, as to both sides. And when I say that, I would go to, say, uh, Coach Knight, for example, and say, hey, um, number 54, he's got his hands on him. Yep. Now, I'm telling you to take care of it. If you don't take care of it, you're going to take care of it. I, then you go down to the other end, Michigan State, at that time, Judd Heathcote. Yeah. Or I'm going to tell you a little story about Lou Henson in just a moment. But you would do the same thing on the Michigan State. And the coaches know that. And they respect you. Yeah. And they know when that game is on the line, they can trust you to do the right thing. Yeah. It goes back to what I said earlier, the right thing. Not that you you aren't going to make mistakes. Not that you you aren't going to miss a call, but they trust you to do the right thing. Lou Henson played a very uh, important role in Ed Hightower getting to the Big Ten, and I never mm -hmm. knew about it until six years after I was in the Big Ten, after I became a crew chief. Lou Henson was in this area recruiting. Saw me refereeing a high school basketball game. Called a Big Ten wow. the next day and said, let me tell you, I saw this young African-American. He is going to be good. You need to get someone down there and take a look at this guy and start tracking him. He's going to be good. And somebody is going to get him. Another league is going to yeah. get him. You need to take a look. Well, lo and behold, I'm 25 years old. I go to my first camp at Michigan State, Big Ten camp. Out of 110 campers, they only took two campers and added us to what they used to call in the Big Ten our satellite crew. That was the officials 
that they would hire at that time at a Western Illinois University, yeah, which yeah. was a Division II, Eastern, yeah. Northern Iowa, yeah. okay? And they would track your experience. Start there. You got it. Yeah. And then from that point, uh, two years later, uh, the supervisor of the Big Ten called the Missouri Valley and said, look, We've got this young kid, and again, I don't know this at the time. Yeah. I know, as they say, I know nothing. You <laughs> <laughs> just got the call and said, Get yeah, yeah, exactly. Said, yes, so um, I was at, uh, I was selected to do the National JUCO Tournament. I am now 27 years old. Yeah. The National JUCO Tournament in Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, and uh, Johnny Overby, who was the Missouri Valley uh, supervisor, I didn't know he was at the game. He sat and watched me work for three days in a row, okay? And uh, with that, um, um, he came in that third night after the game and mm -hmm. said, I've watched you uh, three days. Um, I want to bring you into the Missouri Valley. Brought me into the Missouri Valley. Uh, you know, I fooled some people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I worked there two years in yeah. the Missouri Valley. And then the Big Ten uh, said that uh, I'm, we're going to bring you and put you on a crew. So they put me on a crew yes. at 29 years old. On a, Now, you think about this. Now. That's young. That young? Yeah. That is too young. Okay. That's. Okay. T-O-O, -O, too <laughs> young. Yeah, right. And, uh, but I was very fortunate. Um, uh, I walked in, and let me tell you, uh, you think you're ready. Well, you find quickly when you walk into an Illinois and they've got 14,000 yeah. crazies there. The orange crushes, orange going crushes on you yeah. majorly. Or you go to Indiana and you got 16,000 people there, a sea of red. Yeah. And at that time, you know, Coach Knight was just like a giant. Yeah. He was a giant in the game and a big man yeah. <laughs> to, to boot. I had seen him on TV, but I did not know him. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I go out there. But I had been told by uh, another uh, prominent uh, veteran referee, his name was Jim Bain. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. So you're not gonna believe this. I thought you were gonna say this. He was my neighbor growing up in Mattoon, Illinois. Are you kidding no. me? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Jim Bain was yeah. my mentor. He's literally one of the things I was gonna bring up Jim, was Jim Bain. Yeah. Jim Bain, uh, Mattoon, you're right, yeah. banker yeah. and all. Yeah. Well, Jim and, I, Jim and I used to fly. Yeah, that's so funny. Jim was a pilot yeah. at one time. I leased an airplane. Uh, and had someone flying me around, yeah. and we would hook up. I'd go to Decatur, pick him up, depending on where yeah. we were going. But the uh, the the initial initiation to the Big Ten, Jim, I talk with, I would talk to him all of the time, and I said, Jim, tell me, how do you handle a coach night? How do you handle? And he says, and he used to call me Eddie. Eddie, coach night. He's going to test you when you first get in the Big Ten. You can take it to the bank. Yeah. Judd Heatcoat is going to test you when you yeah. uh, get to one of his games. He says, now, Coach Knight 
is going to say something to you. It may be religious. It may be political. And it, he may say something uh, racially. Oh, my God. Because he wants to see how you're going to react. How thick a don't, skin you have. Don't react. And he says, all of these coaches in their own way will test you, and here's why. They're not concerned about you at home. They're concerned about you when Indiana goes to Purdue and that 15,000 people are there at Mackey Arena or when he goes to Illinois and they've got the 14,000 people or so there. They want to know how you're going to behave on the road. So I get asked this story often. Uh, what was the first thing Coach Knight said to you? So this young kid, 28 years old, I walk out there on the floor. We get there. We have to be there an hour and a half before game time. Nobody's in the arena. <laughs> then we have to walk out on the floor 30 minutes before game time. We walk out there 30 minutes before game time. There's just a sea of red, 16,000 people, sea of red. And then Coach Knight, at that time, he would normally come out a minute before the game. (laughs) That was his MO. Well, he knew that he had this young, (laughs) young official. He comes out about two and a half minutes before game time. The sea, the, 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 the fans, they nuts. stand, hell to the king, hell to the king. And so he walks by the three officials. He goes down, shakes hands with the, uh, shake hand with the uh, opposing coach. Yeah. So he comes back, and I'm just, I, I'm so scared. <laughs> I am so scared, this young kid, because he, right. you know, all of the history. Uh, Throwing chairs, go, screaming, yelling. You know, yeah. but just, just, just yeah. his M.O., you know, just, you know, he was, he was a national figure. Yeah. So he goes down, and he gets about six inches his rear end from hitting his seat. And he comes back, and he gets right in my face. And he says, I hope you're not shocked tonight when I get on you. Oh. It's going to be uh, chewing that, and you can fill it, fill in the words yeah. that you've this never. This is before the game even this starts. Is this game. is amazing. And the fans are eating it up. Yeah. The He's fans right are face. eating it up. This will be a chewing like you've never had before. Yeah. Welcome to the Big Ten. <laughs> now, you think about that for a moment. And now... So that was my intro to Coach Knight. Well, I in talking with Jim, Jim said, "Listen, the way you handle Coach Knight, you don't ha- you you handle him the same way I want you to handle every other coach. You when you get near the coach where he's standing, get out on the floor, and then when you start to go back down the floor, you go. You don't yeah. you don't linger doing a timeout." Get out on the floor. You don't need to. And I, I get angry now when I see these officials yeah. standing over there by the coaches. They are not there to be your friend. Nope. They don't give you candy. <laughs> <laughs> They're not right. handing out candy. No. So, bottom line, I always adopted that. I, and that was my uh, way of handling coaches. Now, the next game, 
I've got conference game. Uh-oh. I've got Judd Heathcote at Iowa mm-hmm. against Lou Lute Olson. Yeah. Okay. I Judd, he was there. Uh, pardon me? I forgot he was there. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had just opened okay. Carver Hawkeye Arena. Yeah. Okay. So now think about this for a moment. The Iowa fans, they are rabbit. Because, again, right. in Iowa, think about it. There, there, there are no major league sports. It's, it's just all. Yeah. This is the big deal. Yeah. This is the big leagues, as they call it. Judd Heathcote didn't like young officials because he could not trust them. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I understand why. Now, as I, as I got into it, I, I, I quickly learned that. But again, uh, same thing. Jim said, Ed, he's going to say something to you. Just let it go. So we go out there. I'm working with this veteran referee. This veteran referee in the first five minutes, he makes three of the worst calls in America. Michigan, two against Michigan State, one against Iowa. Neither one of the coaches said a word. Hmm. Neither one of the coaches. So now, Ed Hightower, when he finally gets enough nerve <laughs> to blow his whistle, I make my first call after about 10 minutes. It's the right call. Yeah. Judd Heat coach, and it's the correct call. Judd Heat coat jumped up. And so I said, I knew it. Richie, where did this young kid come from? You will never make it. I'm going to make sure you're fired from the Big Ten. You can't make it. So we get through the game. Let me tell you, doing the right thing, even when it's unpopular. Michigan State is on the road. The last play of the game. I'm on national TV, mm-hmm. CBS. Billy Packer is doing mm-hmm. the game. There's an out-of-bounds play. It's my call. It's right on the sideline. The coach, uh, Heat coach, could see it. Certainly, Iowa could see it lead Hudson. Now, the kid barely, barely stepped on the sideline. I could have easily said, I didn't see that call. I could have said that. Do the right thing even when it's not popular. Yep. Blew my whistle. Great advice. Made the call. Iowa lost a game by one. Mm. Judd Heathcote jumps up. Great call. Now wait a minute, he's the same guy the whole Sorry, game that was saying, you'll never make it. You're going to get fired. <laughs> and I made the right call. From that point, individual, the coaches in the Big Ten and across the country began to say, who is this young kid? Yeah. I refereed my first Final Four at 34 years old. I worked seven Final Fours in a row. Holy smokes. In a row. That's not normal. Not normal. You go back. I, I think that's the first time it's been done in the history of the that's game. That's amazing. So, it, again, the story that I tell young people, do the right thing even when it's not popular. Yeah. Do the right thing when people aren't watching you. That's the value system that 
you want to build your life around. You can't please everyone. I've, as superintendent, yeah. okay, I never tried to please my employees. Every decision that I made, I made it in the interest of the young people. Every decision when I refereed, I made it in the best interest of those players. And I would tell them up front, I'm going to tell you one time to get your shirt tail in. You're not, this is my game. You're not going to be walking around with your shirt tail out. I'm going to tell you, if I tell you to get your hands off, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. But I'm not going to keep, trust me, I'm not going to keep telling you that. And that's the, that was the relationship I had with coaches I would throw my hand up when I said, this is it. I would listen. I never had rabbit ears. I would listen to coaches when they griped and complained. Because, you know, I had the philosophy, I'm not always right. I'm not always right. And if I don't react but give that coach an opportunity to disagree with me and he goes and looks at the film, he's going to come back and say, you know what? That that guy was right, and you know, he treated me with respect, okay? But when I throw my hand up, and I'm the guy that started, that put made this a national mechanic, (laughs) when I do this, that's it. Don't say another word. This is your warning. That's it. And that's how I've lived my life, you know. Um, I believe in second chance Mm -hmm. for young people, people in general. Yep. But I'm not going to keep giving you chance after chance. Yeah, I love that. So, so what? I mean, you made a ton of calls, right? Obviously, in a in a 36 year career, but not every one of them was the right call. So, so what did you do when you did mess up and miss a call? If I missed a call, and I would go in uh, when it was even not popular, I'd go down. I'd go and break down every every call that I. So made. after the game. After the game. During the game, and did you do the, a makeup yes, call? Yes. No. No makeup. <laughs> If I missed a call during the game, let me tell you what I would do. I would tell the coach, Coach. That's on me. Uh, I missed that call. Yeah. I missed that call. I would tell the player. But I'm not going to keep. It does it, make it, you feel better, though. I mean, we just uh, had, I coached eighth grade basketball yeah, right now. And, yeah, he, and a yeah. ref the other night said that he goes, hey, sorry, I missed that. He yeah, took ownership. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? What do you say? Better. You know, and, that, and that's the bottom line. That, that is the bottom line. You know, don't, you don't need to alibi. You don't need to make excuses. You don't need to try to justify it. I missed a call. Yeah. Our coach, and I tell young people when I'm working with them, just say, Coach, you may be right. Even you know that you got it right. Yeah. Just say, Coach, you may be right. Yeah. Because you're not going to win that moment when the temperature is high. Yeah. Uh, you've got to bring the temp down. Coach, you may be right. You may be right. I didn't say you were. That's right. You may be right. Okay, Dean Smith was one of my uh, all-time favorite coaches. I can remember we were doing a game with him, and uh, we uh, one of my crew members missed a call so bad. I was the lead referee, and I could I could not get him. This I could not get this official to change the call. I tried to get him. I called Dean Smith the next day and said, Coach, I, 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 have to, uh, I, I have to be able to live with myself. We missed that call. 
that was the respect that I that coach hmm. uh, when I received my doctorate. There were two people who reached out to me right away, and I don't know how they found out and congratulated me on my doctorate of education. Dean Smith, John Thompson. Wow. I think about that. Now, and, and, and the letters. bottom line, see, I was not refereeing those guys consistently like what I was in the Big Ten. I would only catch yeah. those guys uh, in tournament play or when the ACC played the Big Ten. Yep. But they they watch. They they know who the who the good officials are, and they know every official's um, breaking point. Yeah. How how did you stay a student of the game in education and basketball? Because you really think about it, you're you're growing two careers parallel at the same time, right? You're growing two careers parallel. You you don't change, okay? And how do you raise? There's so many things. As I talk to various groups, I get asked a question on a regular basis. How are you able to keep all keep the three entities um, together? And those entities of family, my professional job as an educator, and my um, my refereeing. You don't change. First of all, family is more important than anything else. My wife and I have been married 49 years. We have two daughters, both successful. And as I was, we were rearing our kids, both of our kids went to my school. We always believe in quality over quantity. Quality over quantity, yep. quality time over quantity. There are people who are together yep. 24 hours a day and can't stand each other. Right. If my daughters knew, and even today, if they want me at something, they, when they were younger, they'd go in and tell my secretary, uh, would you put this on dad's <laughs> schedule? If they wrote it on there, it was important to them. Yep. Now they knew that they couldn't go in there and write every day. You, you know, you right. want me here. Yeah. You know, you got to share me. But if they put something on my calendar and I had a game, guess what? Yep. No, I got off that game. Yeah. It was family. Hmm. Now, decision making. I'm in the decision making business in education. I'm in the decision making business. Um, in refereeing. Yeah, by the second. Every second you're making a decision on someone's livelihood. In education, it's about educating kids for the next uh, step of their yeah. next step in their life. Refereeing, I'm working with kids and I'm making decisions about their careers. I can put them on the bench with a cheap foul or a bad call. Yep. And at the wrong time, and they're penalized. So you have to always be cognizant of that and, and keep that in the forefront. Before every game, every game, I, walked, I would go into the restroom by myself for a moment, and I would say a little prayer, Lord, please give me the wisdom, the knowledge to not injure or hurt 
someone tonight. And that's the same thing as I went to my office. Give me the wisdom knowledge. You can't get too big, as we like to call it, or see yourself as too important for what this business is about. You're in the people business. You're in the helping business, the assistance business. Now, does that mean that you're going to allow somebody to do what the heck they want? And as I I, I told uh, an individual once, I was a young principal, and everybody knew know, knew that I was very religious. Religion yeah. always par, par, uh, a priority with my family. So this guy comes in, and he is just being a first class jerk. I'm a principal, and he knew <laughs> I was class he, jerk. he was a first class <laughs> jerk. And I said to him, I said, "Sir, I said let's 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 get an understanding here." I said, this is obvious. He said, you, you're, you're religious and all of this. And I said, let's get an understanding here. Don't take my religious belief or my kindness as a form of weakness. Mm. If you make that statement again, <laughs> you're going to find <laughs> out just who I am. Right. So again, that's the extreme. You you have to. Yeah. Don't take yeah. this goodness as a form of weakness. I love that. And the same thing when I when I work with coaches. Yep. Coaches, I'm gonna listen to you for a moment. But you, when I do when I give you that stop sign, yeah. that's it. Don't I've reached do, my limit. Don't say another word. If you say another word, there's something else coming. I love it. So let's talk about the flying Illini. Let me tell you a quick story. So my uh, group, Matt Toon, as I said, my uh, mom's cousin was, uh, I think, next door neighbors to Lou Henson. So so we got oh, to wow. know uh, okay. them. And I was lucky enough in 1989, they had their final four dinner. I got invited, my mom and dad and I. 89, we're in Seattle? Yes. Oh, in Seattle. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I get to go to the, the dinner back in Champaign, and uh, I sit next to Andy Kaufman. Oh, yes. Remember Andy One Kaufman? Of my favorite. 34, I believe, number 34. And Good. I got to try his uh, Final Four ring on. Uh, and it was really cool. It was a great night. You know, I met, you know, Kendall Gill and Kim oh, Battle yes. and Nick oh, Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Bardo and Kendall Gill have both been on this podcast, which has been awesome. Um, good, good people. I know both of them very well. But talk about the Flying Illini, because a lot of people from Illinois listen to this. Our, our Missouri friends will just have to they'll just have to listen to it. Sure. Right? The Flying Illini, 1989. Talk about that team and over your career. How did they rank? What'd you like about them? What'd you like about Lou Well, Hansen? let's talk about uh, what was the greatest shot. Mm. What 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 shot was that? Well, my greatest shot was the turnaround shot at the Indiana game that Nick Anderson from half court turns around, throws it up. Who do you think was the lead referee on that game? That guy. You got it right here. He <laughs> had Hightower. And uh, let me tell you a little story about that That's game. The greatest. That, that play. That play. You remember Indiana went down and scored. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. They scored. And Coach uh, Henson called the timeout right away. Mm-hmm. Coach Knight wanted all he wanted to know was how much time I was going to put back on the clock because there was no way in the world on the baseline, yeah. even though the kid could run, yeah. he could run. Yep. There's no way in the world I thought Coach Knight or anyone else thought that that ball, first of all, was going to get across half court and they were going to be able to get it up yeah. and score. I was 
the lead referee. I put the ball in play. I saw it all and witnessed it all. And then, of course, I went to um, to the Final Four with them that year uh, in Seattle. Yeah. And uh, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, Michigan was there. Uh, Neil Robinson. Uh, Michigan was there. Um, um, Seton Hall and Duke. Yeah, you see. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And so I didn't, they didn't assign me to the Illinois semifinal because I was from Illinois. And again, all of that, you know, back then they were very conscious and cognizant of those kinds of situations. But, you know, again, uh, you know, there were a couple of calls there that uh, Coach Henson disagreed with. That might have been the, the, one of the biggest jumps of my night when Nick Anderson made that <laughs> shot. I'm like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. So talk about Lou Henson, the Lou do. Coach Henson was uh, a great person, Yeah. number one. He was a great humanitarian. Number two, he was one of the most underrated coaches mm. in the game. Underrated. I, I just thought, and, and by the way, I, I knew all of the coaches back then. Know them all now. Yeah. Okay. Coach Henson not only was a great person, but he was a great tactician. The kids had to play defense or they didn't stay in the game. Now, at times, uh, you know, we would get, you, you guys would get upset that he would pull a guy so quickly. If you didn't play defense, you were coming out of the game. Okay, and that's just a bottom line. Now, maybe that happened a little too often, you right. know, if you want to criticize. <laughs> but uh, I, I have the greatest respect for Coach Henson and what he stood for. And I did a podcast on Coach Henson uh, when he passed away. And uh, the respect that I have for that man uh, and what he brought to the game. Yeah. And as a human being, and his willingness to help others, and and I just think that he did not get the credit. Now, um, did they lose some games? Yes, they lost some close games. But when you look at his body of work, yeah, you won't find anyone that put as comprehensive and complete body of work together as Coach Henson. Yep. Look at his overall. You know, when he was at what uh, Centenary, yep. a lot of people don't know, um, he wouldn't take that job unless they uh, integrated his coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that's the type of humanitarian. Looking after his people. Look at, look at, no, looking at society and oh, what it yeah. meant. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just a great humanitarian. Great humanitarian. So, did you see? Were you around with the uh, Fab Five? <laughs> uh, what was the greatest situation with the Fab Five? Don't tell me you're doing that game. Was that what, 1992? The what timeout. Game, well, what was Lovett? what was the greatest? What was the when you talk about the Fab Five? What 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 are they known for? The one single moment in time. Well, the timeout. I was the lead referee oh. uh, on that game with the Fab Five. In New Orleans, did you make that call? I was the lead referee and made the call. I had told. Uh, I was mad at you that night. Why is that? I was a Michigan fan at that point. I liked the Fab Five. Well, I did too. <laughs> I, you, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the Fab Five very quickly. When 
the Fab Five came on the scene. Um, they changed the culture of sports yeah. and society forever. Yeah. And that group, whatever you want to say about them, we weren't ready for uh, their antics. Yeah. You know, with the long pants, oh, yeah. the uh, the different Black colored socks, socks yeah. and uh, and their swagger and uh, their trash talk. Uh, yeah. We, you know, we weren't ready for that. The commissioner of the Big Ten said to me, "You're going to live with that group." And there were three referees, and we were all educators. We worked. These more. are your babies. <laughs> you're gonna live with them, and you're gonna you, you're gonna keep them in check. And and um, Jalen Rose, uh, you know, he's one of the smartest young people. You and he has a sense of humor. Uh, he would talk trash out there, and one night, um, and just just a great individual, really. And so Jalen, he would do a dunk on you and get in your face and all of that. So uh, I'm working him at Northwestern. And so I, um, I I got so upset with him. I grabbed him by the arm and I took him over to Steve Fisher. Fisher yeah. was from Centralia, the oh, Centralia yeah. area. And so I said, Coach, I said, now, I am not going to have Jalen. I would not call this right. I'm not going to have number 34, whatever his number was, yeah. embarrass a player like what he did. If he does that again, I'm going to throw him out of the game. Mm. It's not going to be just a technical file. This is his official warning. Now, only Jalen. After the game. Jalen, uh, the uh, he was doing the interview. Well, I noticed that you and uh, referee Hightower were, were having a discussion to, tonight. What, what was that all about? Only Jalen. Well, you know how a principal Hightower is. He thought he was back in school, <laughs> and he threatened me with a detention. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Jalen. And, and um, uh, you know, the coach, uh, Jawan Howard. Yeah. He was my go-to guy back then. You know, um, I, if we had an issue with with the rest of the group, which you know, there would he be was time. The ringleader. He no, 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 oh, no, okay. no, no. He was to he was to. Oh no, not at all. We'd go to to Juwan and say uh, whatever his number was. Twenty five. You gotta you gotta take care of this, and he would. I mean, he you could tell that he was a leader. Yeah. He was a leader all the way back then yeah and so it doesn't surprise any of us that uh you know i know he's had he had some a hard time last year and all but that's okay uh he's still a leader we make mistakes uh but uh he is just a, a wonderful young person so talk about the traits you saw and and some of the greatest players that you know obviously went through college played in the nba you saw them all um Talk about those traits, but apply that to the person listening to this podcast right now that's in the business world or the education world, the medical world, whatever it may be. What did you see there that can be applied to the to the office? Perseverance. Okay. Goal setting. When it when it when it, when at the toughest moment, that's when those individuals really showed and demonstrated their true 
value system. And when I talk about value system, that toughness, that willing, that willingness to give a little extra, that willingness, and, and I use this with young people, and it's getting a little old now. The guy's name was Herschel Hawkins from mm-hmm. Bradley. Yeah. He's one of my all-time favorite players. I asked him once. He was a great player. Remember, yeah. he was the 88 uh, player of the year over Danny Manning's, and that was yeah. my first Final Four with, with Kansas. Kansas yep. Well, Danny ended up being the player of the year, uh, and I never get into who should be the player of the year, but Herschel Hawkins really should have been the player of the year that year. But Herschel Hawkins was one of my all-time favorites. He was one, he was one of the great jump shooters, as you know. Yeah. So we would have to go to be at the game an hour and a half before game time, okay? Herschel Hawkins, if he had missed the game before, Wherever he missed a shot from, that next game, an hour and a half before game time, the lights aren't even on yet. He's out there practicing that shot that he missed. And I asked him when I I said, I said, I called him Hawk. I said, Hawk, I said, uh, man, you're a great player. Why are you practicing? at an, an hour and a half before game time and you're coming off and you're, you're acting as if here's a screen, here's the jump shot. Why do you do that? He says, because that shot is going to come up again. Yep. Now you take that in life, you learn from experiences. It's going to come up again. Yeah. And if you've rehearsed it, then you know how to react. I used to get in front of a mirror at home and rehearse my mechanics. People used to say, boy, Hightower, boy, look at his mechanics. That was not by accident. You have to, everything has to be in sync. And here's the thing, when you get into that situation, you got 50,000 people in the arena at a Final Four. You got millions watching. You can't think about it. You got to react. You're not over. You got to react to the situation at the moment. And that's life. Mm -hmm. That's life. Solid. Man, tons of takeaways. Um, last few questions. So you're, uh, I talk about this all the time on these podcasts, is fears. The fears we put in our mind. How many of the fears have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Well, you know, as a young person, when I was in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher said I would never be anything. Mm. She called me dumb, called me retarded Wow! in fourth grade in the South. My fifth grade teacher, Miss Jackson, she took those fears away. Hmm. She said, you can be anything and anybody you want to be. The fear is what you imagine it to be. 
I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And with that, I say you prepare for that for the uncertainties. And when you get into that moment, now let me be clear with you. Before every game, before every game, I don't care the the magnitude of a game, if it was a game with Lewis and Clark and Belleville Swick at yeah. that time, I'm just using that as an sure. example, I would have to go uh, to the restroom. Yeah, I would say that prayer <laughs> yeah. before I walked right. out there because that was the ner- those were the nerves. But once I threw that ball up, no fear. Yeah. You're prepared. You're prepared mentally, physically, you know the rules, and you just react. Hmm. It's so true. And then, I mean, I even said this to Matt right before we started recording this. Um, You were stepped outside, and I said, you know, it's funny, after 300 and whatever, 85 guests, you still got the little bit of the... The nerves, right? If and you it's don't. Like, if you don't, you don't care. I mean, I heard it, Tiger Woods say that, yeah. right? If he goes, if the day I stop being nervous on the first tee exactly. is when I'm done. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. So that, that, that matters. That matters. So um, let's see. So when you think about uh, reading, how important has that been in your career? Oh, absolutely. You have to, you know, we have a, we, we, we have a saying in church, uh, you have to study to show yourself approved. <laughs> That's an old saying yeah. in church. Well, it's the same thing with education. Uh, I read a lot. Uh, I don't read just to read, but I read a ton, particularly on the subject matters that are important to me. Yeah. Education, when I was in education, I read every article I could get my hands on on leadership, decision-making, working with kids, understanding the dynamics of what I was going to be faced with. Yep. Refereeing, I knew that rule book back and front. Mm. Leadership, I would always read articles about leadership and decision-making, okay, because yeah. that you learn. If you can just pick up one little nugget, yep. it's going to make you better and what you do. Yep. So I'll close with this one. I'm anxious to see. I've never asked this question because I just read it this morning. So I read, my, my deal is at least 10 pages a day, every day. If I can do that, you're going to read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. And so I read this today and it was it made me think. I sent it to a couple of buddies, but it said, you know, basically be careful of the feedback that you take. Not everything is for you. Maybe, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for me, but it, it may not be for both of us, right? And it said, be careful because the boiling water that hardens the egg softens the carrot. So when you hear that, what do you think? Well, when I when I see that, and when I when I when I think of it, when I see it, when I I believe that, you listen. You never not listen. Okay, yep. but you better have the intestinal fortitude and the smartness to be able to decipher. Yep. That's the big difference, right yeah. there. Yep. Mr. Harshbarger, my eighth grade history teacher, said you got two ears, one mouth. Using proportionally. You got it. Dr. Ed Hightower, man, this has been an absolute blast. Thanks for being with me, man. Pleasure's all mine, Brett. Thanks for being on the Circuit of Success. You got it, babe. Thank you.